sing for me all the time, and I appreciate her getting up here. It won't be the last time. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, last week we finished up chapter 11 and uh, with a study on the personal attack of the devil uh, on Paul. And I showed you how that uh, his life was uh, such an incredible life for us to study. I, I think of, you know, I think of all the, uh, the men in the New Testament, I think the greatest character study that you could ever take would be a study of the life of Paul. Uh, he has such an impact on, on, on everything. And we talked about that last week. And I want to again to give you, as I told you, you know, we've been coming through the book of 2 Corinthians, for those of you that are visiting this morning, and we've been coming through chapter by chapter, but with the purpose is that God has given us so many ministries and so many people that we're working with and all the great things that he's got that we wanted to take a book that really taught us as a church how to really minister the biblical way. And uh, we wanted to do it by the book, wanted to do it the way God wanted to do it would be pleasing to him. And that is the book of 2 Corinthians. Chapter by chapter, Paul teaches them how to minister and goes through all the different aspects. And I won't go through it all again. You have them all down in your, your Bible now, I'm sure, and, and understand uh, what we've come through. But uh, on each chapter, I've been trying to give you an introduction to the chapter. I think that really helps uh, put the whole chapter in perspective, that as we start working through it, you know, you get a, you have some things already in hand to be able to grasp and, and be able to pick it up better. But you know, so remember we saw last week, Paul, probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. And he was certainly the man who God called to start the ministry to the Gentiles, and that is the establishment of the church in the New Testament. Yet Paul, as we talked about last week, and I don't want you to forget a few things as we're looking at, at this chapter today. Paul, we saw last week, was just a common, ordinary guy. He didn't have any special gifts. He didn't have any special abilities. He didn't have any great personality traits that really set him apart from, from anything else. He's just a common man, you know, that God used, and the devil, obviously, as we saw, tried to stop. We saw the list of adversities that he went through. My, my, and I told you last week, you know, that would put all of us under the table if we even went through a tenth of what he went through. And we saw, uh, you know, uh, how uh, he, his life, his whole life, people tried to stop him. Uh, not only did he have people that were out to try to stop him, but he had the devil that was against him. And uh, the devil always uses people to try to get you to stop and to do what God has called you to do. Yet the most amazing thing we talked about is he never quit. He never gave up on all that he went through. And remember, I, I talk about it, every time I teach you the Bible, I, I really like to stop periodically and make the parallels between something in the Bible and my own life or your own life. And, and yet the great parallel is that we as God's people today, we have the same salvation, we have the same Holy Spirit of God, and yet we give up and quit almost without any real adversity in our lives. We fall and we fail and give up and quit so readily uh, that it's, it's hard to fathom sometimes. And I understand uh, that, uh, you know, all of the ramifications, but none of us have been through what Paul went through, you know, and, and, in, I, and in all the years I've been in ministry, you know, and I'm sure many of you see this too. You get people to get one little thing goes wrong in their life and they walk out uh, from God and Christianity and, you know, they're all done with it. And that's just, that's unfortunate. I can't help, you know, in my own life. 
and I can't speak for anyone here today, but I can speak for myself. I know when it comes to a guy like Paul, I can't help but look at a man like Paul and not want to know what he had that we don't have. I, I want to, you know, I believe that my job for myself personally, and again, I can't speak for you. My job as a Christian, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, is to be the best I can be for the Lord Jesus. And the re- way I do that is by looking at men in the Bible, women in the Bible, looking at people in the Bible who accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. And then take that and go on the inside, go underneath and look and see what they had that gave them the ability to get the job done. Many of them, most of them, all of them face great adversity. And Paul is a man who went through great adversity. We talked about it last week. I showed you the incredible list of things that had happened to him. But I mean, when I look at a guy like Paul, I want to know, I want to understand for myself, and yeah, I want to try to convey it to you, but first and foremost, I want it for me. I want to know that in the world that he lived in that was so adverse to the Christianity that he preached, much like today, I want to know what gave him what he had, what God gave him, what transpired in his life that got him through. Because today we face the same kind of issues, maybe not in the same physically, but certainly spiritually. I mean, what happened in Paul's life that made him so determined? What transpired that gave him the courage and the strength to face the opposition that he faced? We're so filled today with the mindset of superheroes, you know. I remember when I was a young, younger than I was back in the 70s, you know, the Rambo series come out, you know. Rambo was a superhero guy. He just made his last one, Rambo 9 or 10 or whatever it was, and now he's 60 years old and he still looks pretty good for 60. Then so do I. <clears throat> but he's still killing guys and he's still this superhuman hero and he can still drive into a place and there's 15 guys there and he can kill them all faster than you can say Rambo. <laughs> Paul wouldn't like that. We got this other guy who's a superhero and I like all of them. This is not a criticism, The Rock. Who doesn't like The Rock? And, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and, uh, but Paul was no rock. You have, you know, uh, back at growing up in the, in the Rocky series, remember you had Mr. T, remember him? Now, he was an incredible guy. Foo. Now, he was an incredible guy. So. <laughs> but Paul wasn't no Mr. T. I think my favorite is Jesse Ventura, Navy SEAL. Great guy. I think he was a great politician. He's somewhat really liberal on things in his life, but I mean, as far as a stand-up guy, I mean, I, we need a president that, that is willing to say, hey, look, if you want to cause problems for Israel or you want to cause problems for this or you want to steal people, you want to steal money out of older people's pockets, you know what? I'm not taking it to Congress. Let's you and I step outside in the parking lot. Paul was no superhuman guy. He, he really wasn't. He's just an ordinary guy like you and me. And yet, when you study great men in the Bible, I, I see certain things in their life. When you read through the Bible, if you're really paying attention and you're looking at that, that, for me, anyhow, always gives me an insight into what happened in their lives 
because I want those same things to happen in my life. Now, it probably never will, but I want it to. And when you study Paul, you see all of these things. You know, there's a great study in the Bible, and, and I've, I've talked to you about it before, but we've got so many new people, most people. Uh, there's a great study in the Bible that I think is one of, the, one of the premier classic studies in the Word of God. And that is the fact that you know that in the Bible that there's seven people that God changes their name. Now, you know, we look at that and don't really think much about it or don't, think, or don't even catch it. But I, I, I saw many, many years ago that there were certain people in the Bible that God actually changed their name. Now, I've come to the persuasion after many years of looking at that and studying that and examining that, 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 that I'm going to tell you right now, I don't understand it all. I really don't. But I won't be the first to tell you there's something to that, and that is a big deal in the Bible. In every case, it was an incredible, an incredible uh, situation. And in the Bible, it means something. Now, five of these people, it denoted a drastic change in their relationship with God in a good way, in a good way. You got Abram, who gets his name changed to Abraham. You have Jacob, who gets his name changed to Israel. You have Sarai, that's Abraham's uh, wife, a little out of series here, who got her her name changed to Sarah. And you got Simon, who God quits calling him Simon, starts calling him Peter. And then you got Saul, who his name gets changed to Paul. Now, two of these seven are a bad name change. And this means something. And this is not my message today. I'm just kind of giving you this, throwing it out so you can understand a little bit better. But two of the seven are bad name changes. Back in 2 Kings chapter 12, you got a guy by the name of Jehoash. And Jehoash, and, and the beauty about names in the Bible is they all mean something. You take Jehoash. Jehoash means fire for Jehovah. Jehoash was one of the kings. And when you study his life, and it's not our purpose today, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to see the whole context here. When you begin to study his life, he starts out being a really good king, and he starts out really doing the right thing. But then in the process of time, just like so many of us, he quits doing what God wants him to do, and he moves into the realm of just going off the end and just really getting far away from God. You know what God did? God changed his name. Where his name meant fire for Jehovah, he changed his name to Joash, which just simply means fire. And I've seen in my life, and I'm sure you have too, a lot of God's people who start out on fire for God, but then just wind up being fire. Now, the second one is incredible too. That's found in Jeremiah chapter uh, uh, 22. And this is where you got a guy by the name of Jeconiah, or uh, excuse me, Jeho- uh, Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim means Jehovah will establish. Now this guy becomes so wicked. This guy becomes absolutely so adverse. He starts out right and then he absolutely goes into the most wicked apostasy you ever saw in your life. And finally, God changes his name and gives him the name Kaniah, which means despised, broken idol. 
Now, the point I want to make here is this. Jehoash, Jehoiakim, both those names, when you read them, start out with J-E-H. That's Jehovah. Both of these men have Jehovah, God, that's his name in the Old Testament. Both these men start out with God's name. And then you know what God does? God says, I'm taking my name off that guy. Now, I know you can't lose your salvation. I know that. And I'm not saying that that's what that suggests. And I'm certainly not suggesting in the New Testament that we can lose our salvation. I know that's not true, and you should know that's not true. But there's something about God taking his name off of your life. There's something about a man or a woman in the New Testament, because that's a parallel, that's a picture. I've told you about those kings in the Old Testament before. I don't know what it totally means, but I never want God to take his name out of my life. So two of them aren't good. Five of them are incredible to study. But in five people's lives, it shows the real change in their life in a good way. And when God changes a man's name in the Bible... And these five, it represents they're going to a different, higher level in the relationship. It simply means in the Bible that they've come through some things, they've learned some lessons, and now they've come to the point where God's really going to get something done with them. That's what it means in the Bible. For instance, you have Abram. And Abram means high father. And Abram went through a lot of tough things in his life, didn't he? He had learned a lot of lessons, just like we did. But there came a, name, a time in his life when, when he got it together. He wasn't perfect. He still made some mistakes. But as far as him and God, it was over. He was going to do whatever God wanted him to do. And at that point, God said, I'm going to change your name from Abram, high father, to Abraham, the father of many nations. Off he went. Sarai is the same thing. Sarai was Abraham's wife. Sarai means princess. Sarai means prince. And princess, obviously, is, I mean, she, she had everything she wanted. She was Abr- Abram's wife. She had, and it, it denotes a, a lifestyle or a mindset. And we know the problems that she had when God tried to tell her about his promises. But there came a time in her life when God changed her name to Sarah which simply means I will bless her with many children. Boy, he did. He did. I, I, think of, I, think of, I think of Jacob. Jacob means schemer, and, and so much of his life was simply scheming to get everything he wanted when God wanted to give him the best anyhow. But oh no, Jacob had to scheme and plan and plot. He had, to, he had to, you talk about beguiling, he beguiled everybody he ran into to get what he wanted the way he wanted it. When God said, you know what, Jacob, if you would just do this the right way, if you would just follow and let me do this for you, Jacob said, oh, no. But then there was a day in Jacob's life when God got him alone in Genesis chapter 32, and when he comes out of that little wrestling match with God, you know what God did? God changed his name to Israel. And now from Jacob comes the 12 tribes. You got Simon Peter. And this is not a bona fide name change, but it fits right in here. And in fact, I needed, I needed five anyhow. No, no, I'm just kidding. But, but up to a point, he's called Simon, Simon Peter. But then it comes to a point in his life when, in, in Matthew chapter 16, when, when Jesus says, Thou art Peter. And you know what happens in that chapter? He gets the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
and his life is never the same again. And then you got Paul, and we're going to talk about that today. I want to try to show you what happened in his life that brought him to a new level in his relationship with God. And I've got to say this too, to be honest. I see these same things in a lot of you here today. I, I wished I could say I see it in all of you, but I see it in many of you. I, honestly, I'll be honest. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think that everybody in this room could be. We don't have any, any, any losers here this morning. We, we just don't. I, I look at all of you and say, hey, you know what? Everybody that's saved here this morning has the ability to, to, to have this in their life. Uh, you know, I, I watch you people who, who love this church and love this ministry as much as I do. And I, I've watched God work in your life and I've watched you grow. I, I see it in so many of you that, that you're, 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 you're right there. You get saved and you move along and you grow. You get discipled. Somebody helps you. You come over one-on-one. You start coming to Thursday night. You learn the Bible. You get your Bible. You start getting your stuff done. You get involved. People help you. And you know what? At one point in your life, you wake up and, and just like these men, and, and, and particularly Paul, who we're going to talk about, but just like these guys, you wake up one morning and you know what? You're done with the world. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you're not going to mess up. But as far as going back to the world and as far as ever not fulfilling what God has called you to do, ain't ever going to happen. You're never going back to the world. You've crossed over into that mindset that you're not perfect, you're still human, but now you understand that God has a higher calling for you and you realize now how the foolishness of this world is trying to pull you back. And you're done with it. I mean, you're done with it. And, you know, and yet at the same time, I've seen God people all my life who, who 20 years from now, they'll be who they are today. They refuse to grow. They keep getting entangled in the things of this old world as we talked about last week. But I see it in so many of you. Now, in Paul's life, his name gets changed in Acts chapter 13. And this is where, by no coincidence, that he officially starts his ministry where he gets his name changed. And I got to tell you this. I don't fully understand this, but all I can say about this is wow, wow, and wow. From chapter 13, it looks like in this particular case, and everything has its relevance and everything has its reason, but it looks like in chapter, from chapter 13 and verse 7 that his new name, Paul, is based on a guy by the name of Paulus in that verse who was the first guy he won to Christ. Now, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot to that thing right there. That's something bears some chewing on for about 20 years. I don't understand a ramification of that, but the first the guy in the New Testament that establishes the church is the picture of you and me. When God changed his name, it was directly related to the first person he won to Christ. Incredible. Now, I know and totally understand that spiritual growth is a process. I never demand spiritual growth from anybody. I demand it if you're going to be a leader, but I don't demand it in the sense of you come to this church and if you don't jump through a certain set of hoops, you know, that you, you, you're not welcome here. That's not true. Because I've learned, realized that spiritual growth is a process. Some of you will pick it up faster than others. Some of you will pick it up the moment you walk in the door. 
Some of you will pick it up six months after you walk in the door. Some of you will pick it up a year, year and a half after you walk in the door. Some of you may be here four or five years before all the light bulbs come on. So I understand that it's a process. And it's a different process for everybody because we all have to go through different things in our lives. And some things, uh, uh, people are different. So uh, being a pastor, you have to understand that. You have to allow for that. And you have to work people through that and help them with that. That's just the way it works. But I want to tell you, after many, many years in the ministry and serving the Lord to my best of my ability that I could and, and watching people, I can tell you that if you really ever get to that place where God really uses you the way that he wants to, and you ever allow these things to come into your life through a growth process, and again, I don't care how long it takes. I'm here to help you. I'm here for you. I'm not against you. I'm here to help you do whatever you got to do in your life. I've got patience up the kazoo. I can deal with it. I'm not sure what a kazoo is, but I got patience up there, and I'm willing to help you any way I can. <laughs> but I want to tell you, if you ever get to that point in your life, the end result will be simply five things that changes you to the point that gives you the ability never to look back. Through the process of growth in time, you'll put five things in your life. As you grow into them, Paul had them in his life. I've never seen anybody who ever really did anything for God who didn't have them in their life. And at some point, you'll get to that point where Paul did. And you'll never look back again. As I said, you're going to have your issues. You're still in your old flesh, and so am I. But the draw of this old world and all that it has will not be one of your problems. Something inside you will trigger, and these things after the process. And, you know, and when I teach or teach the Bible or work with you one-on-one -on -one or we have Sunday morning or whatever I do, i got to tell you, it's always in the back of my mind in developing you. There's not a person that I don't look at that shows that they've got really good ability that really have all of these things that I, I just, you know, like a caged lion, just want to get in there and tinker with it and make you better. But, you know, it has to be in your own time. I told you last week that it's the tough times that you go through by God's design to make you, never to break you. That God puts things in our lives that we will run to God, but in most cases we always wind up running from God. And that's a shame. We all think because of that that there's good things in life that happens to us and there's bad things in life that happen to us. And we're so bombarded with that that when something good comes into our life, we're praising the Lord. But when some tragedy or something comes into our life, we don't praise the Lord. And yet the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that all things work together for good to them who love God who are called according to His purpose. If that verse means what it says and says what it means, then in your life and my life, there's no bad things that happen to us. They're just things that come into our life that are opportunities for us to grow through to get closer to God. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And I, I, I have found that a, a right biblical relationship with God uh, that brings you to that point where you really now don't look back at the world and you're ready to go and you get to that point where Paul did and you get to that point where these other men did in the Bible. Uh, I, it comes down to simply five things that you get in your life and you see them in Paul's life. And when you get to this place in your life, <clears throat> I believe it's the change, spiritually speaking, where God looks at you and me and in his mind changes our name. 
Now, you're not going to go to sleep one night and wake up and God's going to pick up your lipstick, sweetheart, right on your mirror. Your new name now is this. It's a spiritual thing. When I talk about all the time, you hear me talk about Philadelphia and Christianity or, or someone who, who has the courage to never give up or to quit. These five things are in their life. These five things were in the Philadelphian church age because these things are what will get you through. And I'm telling you right now, they work for Paul and they'll work for you. But keep in mind, this is our introduction today. But I want to I give you these five things. I think as an introduction to seeing what happened to Paul's life, if you want, these to happen, you want things to happen in your life, then, then here it is. The first thing, I, and I list these simply for me in my own little way, so you'll have to you know, take them as I give them to you. <clears throat> but the first thing I, I saw many, many years ago in all of these people's lives, and I saw it when I took the study of the life of Paul, was the fact that they had the ability to hear from God what nobody else could hear. Now, in my little outline, I'll call this hearing the inaudible. They had the ability to hear what God from God what nobody else could hear. I can't tell you how important that your communication level is with God. I, 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 I people, you know, I ask people to pray, and uh, you know, at the younger Christian to try to get him involved, and and sometimes they'll they'll stumble and fumble, and they don't pray as as well as somebody that's been around for a while. And we have a mindset that 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 you know that you, you get embarrassed when you, when you don't pray as eloquently as you think you should or the guy that prayed before you or whatever. Don't ever look at it that way. When you have little children and your little kids begin to talk and say their first mama, dad, dad, grandma, nana, papa, and all that stuff, you don't care if they have all the sentence structure right. All you care about is the fact that that little one you brought into this world is speaking their first words and you're calling everybody on the phone. What do you think God does in heaven when you as a child of God who just got born again speaks your first words to his, your, your heavenly father? You think he cares about your sentence structure? I guarantee you he does not. And, and, it, and it's a great thing because, you know, you develop that. And communication is everything with you and God. In our first Gulf War, we had General Schwarzkopf, who was probably last of the great generals. And uh, he's, he's, he passed away not too long ago, but he was a great general. He was likened to George Patton, and he was a great general. And he was in charge of the first Gulf War. And he knew what I'm telling you this morning because when the war began, in the first 20 minutes of that war, you know what he did? He had gotten his intelligence, he got all of his material, he got all of the knowledge that he needed, and he knew where every Iraqi communication station was, and in the first 25 minutes of that battle, technically speaking, the war was over. You know why? Because he took out every communication facility they had. When you take away the communication ability of any army and they can't get orders from back there to up here or out to the front pole here or there, and you destroy all of that, the war is over. And that's why the first thing the devil does to defeat us before we ever get into this thing is destroy our lines of communication and our prayer life between God. Hearing what nobody else can hear. When you read the Bible, God speaks to you. When you pray, you speak to God. 
I don't know how many times somebody said, well, I'm struggling with something in my life and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying, and, but God, God not giving me an answer. And I always ask him, I said, are you reading your Bible? Oh, I, I, I can't stay focused. I can't get in my Bible. I got this problem. And if God would just come down and answer my prayer, then I would get into my Bible like it have the calmness to read it and study it. And I don't understand sometimes, where do you think God is going to answer you from? You're going to drive down I-70 and an F-11 is going to go out of control and the afterburner smoke's going to come on. He's going to write your answer in the sky. You think you're going to find it in Billy Graham's little column in the paper? My answer? <laughs> the answers to everything we pray about and the needs are in that book. And when you pray to God and tell him this is what I'm looking for, God says, well, you get into my book and I'll show you your answer. Communication. Hearing the inaudible. Hearing from God, His Word, what He has for you. See, that's the first thing. And the second thing is seeing what God is really doing when others can't see it. I, I, I call this one seeing the invisible. Seeing life from a greater perspective. We use a little phrase in our life, you know, when we get, we get something happens and we, that, and we say, well, I didn't see that coming. That should never come out of a Christian's mouth. You know why? You ought to always see it coming. Because you ought to have the ability to see what nobody else sees, seeing the invisible. Not just hearing the inaudible, but seeing the invisible. Having the ability to see beyond the circumstances. What's called perception in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's called the high tower principle. David talks about his high tower. We read that and we say, well, why did David need a high tower for? That high tower is a picture of a relationship with God. Now, in Raytown, Missouri, we call it the deer stand concept. Anybody knows if you ever hunted deer and you just walk around on the ground, your chances of getting a deer are not very good unless one stupid one just walks out and says, hey, i got suicide tendencies. Would you shoot me today? But how the whole panoramic view changes when you get 20 feet in a tree. And now the landscape is not one-dimensional anymore. It's all three-dimensional. You can see everything. You can see above the, 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 the brush line. You can see here. You can see there. You're not flatlined anymore. Now you're high where you can actually see overall everything and you have a better perspective. That's what God does for you when he allows you to see the invisible. That's what David was talking about when he talked about his high tower. <clears throat> God was his high tower. <clears throat> God gave him the ability to look at, the, look at life, look at the circumstances, look at people, look at everything, uh, situations and problems and issues. And, and for you and for me, people we deal with and the things we have to put up with within your family or this or that. And you, you don't just see things as they appear, but you have the ability to see things as they really are. That's the key. And any man who ever got to the place or any woman in the Bible that ever got to the place where God changed their name, and he wants to change your name, will have to hear what nobody else hears and have to see what nobody else sees. The third thing 
<clears throat> is reaching people and touching the things in their lives while others can or won't. I call this one touching the intangible. I, I, I liken it to touching the intangible things of God's Word. I, I liken it to God opening up that book to you. We have another phrase we use where we talk about, uh, well, somebody is he's kind of out of touch. That phrase fits perfectly in Christianity today because we as God's people are out of touch with the Word of God that God has given us. We're out of touch. I can't tell you how your life will change when you finally come to the place because you're willing to hear what nobody else hears. You're willing to see what nobody else sees and then God allows you to touch what other people can't touch and you, you get your hands on the truth of God's Word about everything. God shows you now everything. He holds nothing back from you. You see, it's okay for a while when you first come to church and you get saved and you get discipled. I understand. First couple of years, it's okay to come and get everything from me or the person you're working with or the person that's helping you. Those things are great. That's what we're here for. But at some point in your life, at some point in my life, I had to come to the point where I could not live and exist on somebody else's getting the things out of the Bible. I, I honestly, I didn't want to. I couldn't wait. I used to get so frustrated when I'd go to a Bible study and I'd hear somebody lay out something and show you the type of this and a picture of this. And I'd been looking at that thing for a month and didn't see that. I would get so frustrated. Why can't I see that? But it's a process. It was a process for me, and it'll be a process for you. And as stupid as I am, if I can get it, you guys here would have no problem at all. But you've got to get to the place in your life, like every one of these people did that we talked about where God changed their name. We've got to get to the place in our life where Paul was. We get to the place where when God changed his name, it was Saul the greatest persecutor of Christians the world has ever seen, to Paul, the greatest Christian the world has ever seen. And someday God wants to change your name. And you'll never get to the place where these guys were. I'll never get to the place where these guys were until we understand that. Your Bible ought to be, look like a spaghetti dinner without the sauce, with all the notes you have in it with all the principles that we talk about, with all the Bible that we get, with all the ability to, of the material you can get your hands on and all of these things. What keeps some of God's people from ever getting to that place is simply they don't want to get to that place. But I want to tell you something. Touching the intangible means that God opens up that book. You never listen to another newscast. You never read another newspaper. You never need another magazine. You never watch another television program. You never talk to anybody that now suddenly... You're in that deer stand where you see it in 3D. The fourth thing, the fourth thing is believing the infallible. We talked about this last Thursday night, and I apologize in a comic way of the fact that every, I'm sorry, every time you ask me a question, I keep going back to the same thing. 
But I said, the reason why I keep going back to the same thing, because it's the answer to every one of your questions, and it goes back to at the end of the day, when it comes to believing the infallible, it's simply you getting the principles of the Word of God in your life and you believing them. At some point in your life, some of you will, and I know you believe the Bible is the Word of God. I think everybody in the room believes that. I'm not preaching to you this morning like there's a bunch of bad people here that don't want to do right. I don't think that at all. I'm trying to help you see and get to the point that you realize that if you're ever going to get where God wants you to be, and may I say honestly, where I think most of you want to be, you wouldn't keep coming here if you didn't want to do something with God. Why would you put up with that abuse? I don't mean, shut up. I don't mean that. Your license can be revoked. Unless you're all like that battered women syndrome, you just like it. But I don't think that's true. I think you see deep down inside my heart that the fact that I may get hard with you sometimes because I love you. I want you to do what's right. Do I get frustrated? Sure. But I'm sure you get frustrated with me. It's a nice marriage, isn't it? <laughs> Somebody said the other day, he says, marriage is, 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 is like a three-ring circus. He says the first ring is the engagement ring. Second ring is a wedding ring. And the third ring is suffering. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> I didn't say it. I said somebody told me that. <laughs> I didn't say it. But you know that that I want you to do what's right, and I, I believe that most of you want to do what's right. And I, I don't think there's anybody here that, that, that you wouldn't keep coming, you wouldn't keep uh, getting your notes in your Bible, you wouldn't show up on Thursday night. I go back to what I said. I understand spiritual growth is a process. I know that. And where either some people maybe look at you and say, you know what, they're a waste of time. I would never think that of you. I may, you may not be where I want you to be, but you know what? I understand the process. I really do. And I, and I want you to know that, uh, you know, that spiritual growth takes some time. But you have to get to that point in your life at some point. And obviously, there comes a point in your life. I mean, let's face it. After 60 years, you're probably not going to change much. After 20 years, you're probably not going to change much. But you know where I'm coming from, and you understand that, uh, you know, the, the Word of God, getting the Word of God in your life is simply getting the principles in your life. I talked to you last week, I don't know how many hundreds of times, how that Bible is the mind of Christ. You want to know what, and I've told you that my job and your job uh, as Christians is nothing more, not as a pastor, as Christians now. Your job and my job is to get into the Bible, read the Bible, let somebody help you with the Bible, let you grow through the Bible, and then simply come to the point in time where you start to learn these principles, and then you, you look at how you view something in life, and then you put that aside, and you make God's viewpoint about that subject what your viewpoint is. You do that on a constant basis for 5, 10, 15 years, and I'll tell you what, you'll get to that point in your life. But it's something you've got to work at. Believing the infallible, it's nice. I mean, the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. For when you receive the word of God, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. 
But you've got to do more than just carry it to church. You've got to get into that thing and start making those principles work for you. Our attitude toward the Bible, God's Word, will basically determine everything else in our lives. Uh, you see it in history of nations. You see it in government. You see it in people. And it's true of you and me. It, it's just that simple. It really is. Well, we talked about hearing the inaudible. We know what that means now. We talked about seeing the invisible. We understand that one now. And uh, we talked about touching the intangible. We, we got that one down. And then believing the infallible. And when you get those four, when those four things come to your life, and they will, I'm telling you they will. There's nobody in this room today who can't be all that God wants you to be. Not a one of you. Everybody here can be exactly what God wants you to be. I understand it's your choice. I understand some of you probably won't. But it isn't because you don't have the ability. But when you have these first four things in your life, then after all those things, the fifth one comes into your life. It came into Abraham's life. It came into Sarah's life. It came into Jacob's life. It came into Simon Peter's life. And it comes into Paul's life. And it'll come into yours. Once you hear the inaudible, once you see the invisible, once you touch the intangible, once you believe the infallible, then God will take all of those things and you simply will do the impossible. That's what he does. That's what Paul did. That's what Abraham did. God took Abraham out one night and showed him the stars of heaven. Now, when he did that, Abraham was well into his 80s. Now, when he took him out there and showed him the stars of heaven, God looked at Abraham and he said, you know what, Abraham? He said, someday your seed's going to be like the stars of heaven. Abraham says, wow, I believe it. God says, you really believe that? He says, absolutely. He says, you believe that story I just told you that you're a man in your 80s, almost 90 years old, and you're gonna, I'm going to do all that, and someday your seed, when you don't even have any children, is going to be like the stars of heaven? And Abraham says, you know what, Lord, if you said it, I believe it. You know what the Bible says about Abraham? It says that Abraham and his relationship with God called, called those things that were not as though they were. See, that's what we got to get to. Can you imagine when Abraham was 90, 99 years old when God said, you're going to have a baby? Sarah, Sarah I was, was 87, I think, when she was going to have a baby. Can you imagine, too, that couple had to have, go down to Toys R Us to start buying baby stuff? <laughs> and the clerk knows Abraham and Sarah, and they start saying, wow, uh, you know, uh, you must have some friends that are having a baby, going to a baby shower. And Abraham looking at him and says, no, Sarah's a good child. She's going to have a baby. You know how crazy that looked to the world? You know how crazy it looks to the world for you to claim that you're going to do what God wants you to do in your life? You see, that's what it, that's what it means when it talks about that he, he endured as seeing, uh, you know, uh, what, what called those things that were not as though they were. The whole world saw an old folks that was ready for John Knox Village. Abraham saw the nation of Israel. Don't let the world stop you with what the world tries to deter you from or your family. Don't, don't let them. When you know you're right in the Bible and the Bible is what you're doing is the right thing and your heart is where it needs to be with God, 
Hey, how easy would it have been for them to get discouraged? And there was a time in Abraham's life where he got discouraged and he tried to take care of it himself, didn't he? But not at this point. He'd learned his lessons. He'd grown through that process. Now it didn't matter who said what. Abraham was going to follow what God said. And you know what? Some of you will get to that place in your life. You really will. I see some of you there, almost there right now. I see what God has done with some of your families and some of your relatives and some of your friends, some of your family members. I've seen how God started with you because you were faithful and willing, and you're not even there yet. I can't imagine what he will do with you when you finally cross over, and you'll get there. But I, I, I watch you. I, you, know, somebody, you know, somebody asked me, you know, we didn't we come into church, you probably don't even see it, but we got a little sign up there that says Old Paths Baptist Church has got the, the services times on it and everything. And, and, but honestly, we, we, we didn't have, we, the first six, seven years we were in existence, we didn't even have a sign. Uh, I put that up just because of the fact that I was tired of telling people to look for the big Apple Center sign, you know. Somebody asked me, why did you wait so long to put up a sign? And I said, well, I really didn't. I just didn't put a sign out on the, on the front. Well, where was your sign? I said, I got about 200, and 200 of them. These are my signs. What sign do I want? When the first time we put the sign up, you know what we got the first week? People coming in to get saved? People coming in that? No, we got a bunch of sham stories about people from Arkansas coming up and can't get any money to get gas to get back to Arkansas. Now, don't take me wrong. I'm here to help anybody. And I know the minute you say that, somebody say, well, he won't help poor people. Come out this afternoon and see how we help the poor people. Now, I don't mind helping anybody. I, we had a guy come in one time, and I just ha was over to the other place. And I just happened to be there, and he comes in, and he, he had a wife and three kids. And he come in, and he said, uh, he said I'm going to show you. I've I'm, I'm, I'm got the right mind, right spirit. I mean, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not dumb either. I mean, I wasn't born yesterday or the day before. A guy comes in with three little kids, you know, and he tells me this sad story. They're up from Arkansas, and, and he saw a Baptist church, and he goes to a Baptist church, and he, you know, and they're stuck up here, and he needs money to gas to get back there. And I said, well, that's great. I said, uh, he says, yeah. He says, uh, he says uh, we got a great church back there, too. And he says, he says uh, we're kind of stuck up here, and we kind of need help. And, you know, and the average person at that point, would have, you know, that would be enough for you. But you see, I follow the Jacob principle. You know the Jacob principle, don't you? Jacob went in and to his, uh, 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 he went into his daddy, uh, and he, his daddy said, it "Smells like Jacob, but <clears throat> feels like Esau." And there was a deception going on. So I just always operate that bad principle, and I said, "Well, I'll be glad to help you." I said, "I can't get a check, but I got I'll, I'll get some money for you." I said, "I'll, I'll get you help you out here a little bit," and he was all excited about it. I said. Uh, I said, I said, I said, we ought to all help. We ought to all, Christians ought to all help each other, especially if you're going to a church and you're, you know, you're involved in a church. I said, it's our responsibility to help. He said, oh, yeah. He said, we're, we're involved in it. We're doing a great job. I said, good. I said, one little, one little thing I got to get out of the way. Give me the name of your church and your pastor. I want to call and verify that, that, that you're in that church and you're doing good. Yeah, it's all quiet it got. <laughs> Now, here's a guy who was involved in the church. He was up to, I can't even tell. I think he told me he was a deacon in the church. Now, don't you, I would find it surprising if a guy's in the church, did all those things, and didn't know the pastor's name. Would that not be a little suspect to you? Anybody here not know my name? That's a deacon. I mean, I asked one question, and 
And most deceptions are, you know, like a used camouflage net. They got so many holes in them because, you know, and I, I just asked one question. Uh, you should have saw. His eyes were so bright when I said, I'll get you whatever money you need. And then when I said, all I got to do is talk to your pastor to verify, uh, I mean, we went from, we went from <laughs> sunshine to darkness. <laughs> I won't bore you with the whole story, but by the time I got done with him, he admitted he was trying to sham me. Brought three little kids in, set them down there. Used them as part of the sham. His wife sitting there, part of the sham. And, you know, I mean, that's what people do. I'm willing to help anybody anywhere, anytime, any place, but come on. I mean, uh, I was just, I mean, when you get in that deer stand, you can just see things sometimes doesn't always work out the way that it does, it's supposed to, see? And, you know, you, you'll get to the place in your life where you realize that when God really changes you, It'll be real. You won't sham anybody anymore. You'll, 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 I'm not saying you'll be perfect, but you'll, you'll come to the place where you actually do uh, what nobody else can do. You'll do the impossible. God will put you in circumstances that uh, when you look at Paul's life and all the things that he did, it, the world can't even understand that. We're talking about one man who literally impacted and changed the world. Now, I know the Lord Jesus Christ came and put it all in fact, but honestly, he even did more than the Lord did. Because the Lord was only down here for 33 years, and the last three and a half years of his life was only his public ministry. Everything else was growing up and getting to that point. And when he got to the place in his life where he really was ready to change the world, you know what he did? He went back to heaven and called Paul to do it. And then you know what Paul did? He started churches and called the churches to do it. You know what, you're sitting here this morning, if you're saved, you're in that long line of succession. It goes back to the first call of Christ in Antioch. You know what, God saved you. He saved you and called you to finish what Jesus Christ couldn't finish. How's that working for you? Doing the impossible. Simply by coming to the place in your life where God changes your name. Saul, the great persecutor of God's people, to Paul the greatest Christian that ever lived. You see, something changed in his life that allowed him to now hear the inaudible, to see the invisible, to touch the intangible, to believe the infallible, and then get to the point where he did the impossible. Now, these things are what Paul had in his life, and these are the things that, that we need to have in our life. We see by these name changes at all of these people, particularly Paul, we see that it's a picture of you and me moving out of the natural part of our life into the supernatural part of our life. Coming to the place now where we, we put behind us the things that entangle us. We come, we grow, we get what we need. We have to struggle through some things. Life growth is a process. But we finally get to the point in our lives where we understand, and this is where God will change your name in a spiritual sense. This is what God wants to do with every one of you. This is what every one of you have the ability inside you to do. The greatest thing about all of you is nobody's, everybody isn't a nobody. You're just common, ordinary people. You're just common, ordinary people that, that, uh, that make up the, the salt of this earth, uh, that make any country a great country. Most of you work hard. Most of you love your families. Most of you do what's right to the best of your abilities. You have all the basic characteristics. When you get the Word of God, I, I look at some of your personalities and some of the, uh, your ability with people. 
And I, I think to myself, if God could take that guy and just get him focused, if God could take that gal and just get her focused, with their personality, with their ability with people, with their spirit that they have, if you would just get that dialed in to uh, really getting what God wants you to do, you could change the world too. You really could. Some of you always have a bright spot in everything. Uh, that's great. Some of you never look at the bad thing like it's a bad thing. You got that endurance. Some of you have gotten through tough times in your life. Some of you have gotten really through bad times in your life. You've got the basic qualities to get through it or you would have never gotten through it. How much better can it be when you put those things of God in your life and let him get you to the point where he changes your name and you start doing it for him? We're all going to suffer. <laughs> Just look at the world around us. We're all going to suffer. But if I got to suffer, I'd just rather suffer for the Lord's sake than my own sake. And I think that that's, that's, that's where you're at. And so when you see God changing a man's name in the Bible, and when we study next week and we get into Paul and we see how this thing really impacted his world, and we see how this thing really, really changed everything that he had, you're going to see and understand that that you are going to see the bigger picture than just what you see today. You're going to understand a greater calling of God in your life once you see that big picture. You're going to realize what other people don't, that there's nothing in this old world that really matters, only one thing, and that is the mission, the job, the purpose, the focus, that God has called you and me to do. And when you understand that and you realize that, you fully grasp these great concepts. You fully understand that this is what God wanted to do with you and me. This is the plan that he had. And you today have the ability to do that. Every one of you, you have the ability to let God take you and change your name. That you begin to look at life totally different. And it's what, made our, it's what makes our church what it is. It's what takes our church to the next level. It's what we get done with people, what we do, and we get done with what God gives us to do. There's not a mission that God didn't send our way that we didn't fulfill and do everything above what we should have done or could have done. That's what I'm looking for. That's the difference. But it takes people. It takes people who understand the biblical principles involved. It takes people that get to the place in their life where they actually, they actually can hear and understand that it's God speaking to you. Understand the concept of communication. Understand the concept of, of putting all of that thing, that you get to the place in your life that you actually hear what nobody else hears. You see what nobody else sees. You can touch people like nobody else can. And you build a relationship with a supernatural book. And in time, all of those will give you the ability to do what nobody else can. That's the mark of Christianity in the Philadelphian church age. The mark of a man like John Patton, who went to the New Herbides Islands, who wrote in his journal the first couple of years when he got there that he could sit on a mountain at night and he could see the campfires of 500 villages in the distance where not one time was the name of Christ ever mentioned. Fifty years later when he left, when he showed up, there were no saved people. 
when he left, when he died 50 years later, there were no unsaved people. He'd won that whole place to Christ. All because God let him do the impossible. Oh, the Bible is filled with filled. We think of old David Brainerd who died 28, 29 years old, who had such a burden for the, for the American Indian uh, in the northwest of New York and, and Massachusetts. And, and, and he, he would pray, uh, he would pray, uh, you know, long hours in the snow of Pennsylvania under the trees and pray for the American Indian. And he was so racked with tuberculosis and fevers that he died a young man, never reaching one American Indian. But his burden and his desire was such a, was such a, 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 mag, a magnitude that he, when he wrote in his journals, and you can buy it in a bookstore, the diary of David Brainerd, Two of the greatest missionaries ever lived read his journals and were called to the mission field in India. And for the rest of their life, they did what single-handedly what you couldn't get a whole team of missionaries to do today. They ravaged India with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? All because God changed one man's life. And he'll change your life. He'll use you to do things that are impossible if you'll allow him to do it. Next week, I'm going to take you on the inside. We've laid the introduction out today. Next week, I want to show you the inside, but I want you to keep in mind as we do that, those five things, because those are the things that are going to change your life. Those are the things that you'll want to remember. You want to come to the point in your life which you hear what nobody else hears, that you see what nobody else sees, that you touch what nobody else touches, and you build a relationship with that book, and in time, God allows you to do what nobody else can do. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.